What's up, guys? Thank you so much for listening to and supporting Picture Lock. I absolutely love film, as you know, and have given my life to studying the medium. As a filmmaker, I understand what it takes to make a film from its inception to the big screen. As a critic, I've been able to see the business of film from the marketing side of things. And as a film festival director, I've been able to see the distribution side, but more importantly, the enormous amount of talented filmmakers out there creating and crafting stories from their heart. And that's why I've started Picture Lock PR. If you're a filmmaker or producer looking to engage audiences and create relevance around your latest or upcoming project, head over to PictureLockPR.com. We can help you with your film's publicity from pre to post-production. Get more information and see the clients we've helped in the past at PictureLockPR.com. PictureLock PR. Finally, a partner as passionate as you. It's Picture Lock on WERALP Arlington 96.7 FM. Welcome to another episode of the World Famous Award-winning show. I'm your host, Kevin Sampson, filmmaker, film festival director, film critic, film publicist, and lover of film and TV. You can find movie reviews, all the back episodes, and so much more at PictureLockShow.com. Filmmakers, be sure to get your films into the DC Black Film Festival. We're now in the late deadline, but you just may have the movie we need to exhibit So visit DCBFF.org for more information. Today I'm talking with Ginger Gentile, the director and producer of Erasing Family, a documentary that takes a look at the effects of divorce on families. I also speak with writer, director, producer of the movie that starts where most rom-coms end, Toss It, Michelle Remsen. Plus, I have your answers to last week's question of the week. And that's all ahead on Picture Lock. Hello, I'm Ann Wells. I'm an independent filmmaker. Thank you for listening to Picture Lock. It's Picture Lock. I'm Kevin Sampson, and in the U.S. alone, over 22 million parents are being erased from their children's lives after divorce and separation. The Erasing Family documentary follows young adults fighting to reunite with their broken families. I have the film's director-producer on the line, Ginger Gentile. Ginger, welcome to Picture Lock. Hi, Kevin. Thank you so much for having me on Picture Lock so I can discuss Erasing Family and get the word out there about this exciting film. Yeah, most definitely. It's my pleasure. Ginger, first question I always start out with. When did you first fall in love with film? I remember being like around 12 and at the video rental store looking at like this wall where I had every Academy Award winner and just going through those films year by year and then going through the foreign film section. And what was interesting is I always loved movies, but I always thought that making movies is something that someone talented and special did, and <laughs> I was not that. Um, so I didn't go to film school, and it was... I did make a documentary in high school, which I still haven't edited, but never really thought of myself as a <laughs> filmmaker. And... I, after I graduated Columbia University, I went down to Argentina. Six months turned into 13 years. But oh, wow. when I was there, people are just much more encouraging about following your dreams. And I stayed acting, realized, you know, that wasn't for me. Um, but I'm glad I did, so I got that out of the way. And I was like, oh, maybe I should, like, you know, look into film. And people are just so encouraging. And then people in my own film classes encouraged me to be a director. And I just loved it. 
And it's, you know, I can sit through bad movies and good movies. I can't sit through good or bad theater. And I think you're cut out for this if you can sit through a lot of something. So if you want to be a musician, you have to be able to listen to good and bad music. And I'm able to watch good and bad movies and always learn something from them. Well, it's, it almost sounds like you have missed your calling as a film critic because I do that all the time. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you're you're absolutely correct. You can sit through a bad film and you can and you can actually um, learn a lot because you learn about the mistakes. Um, and in fact, yeah. shout out to my friend uh, Joe Geibler. When we were in high school, we used to rent like we would go to the horror section, find the worst looking movie and rent it to watch it and laugh and to this day there's still this one particular shot that is in my mind that like it as as horrible as the movie was like i was like whoa that was like a really cool shot so you never know like bad movies will always teach you um either or good things or bad things but enough about me and my history let's get into your history you kind of talked about it a little bit just now but like what was your breaking in story so you know you went down you said argentina for 13 years and then you made that uh, transition so like yeah how did you get into the industry so um i i never went to film school but i did take very specific classes uh with very accomplished like I took two years of editing with an an editor who had edited 90 films and also just took a lot of classes from set electrician I'm the first certified female set electrician in Argentina Um, I can still wire stuff I would never really want I I realized I didn't want to do that but I'm so I think like one thing to move back a little I wanted to say is that if you want to get into directing or producing learning all of the roles on set I think is super important and I definitely tried my hand at a lot of stuff and saw what I liked and what I didn't. I was always drawn more towards editing, uh, assistant directing, and, and directing. And I just started working, uh, basically taking any job I could get for, you know, for free or for low cost. And I also did a lot of videos, like hotel and tourism videos. I think I did like 70 of them, filming them on my own. <laughs> and that was actually great training for being a documentary uh, director not because it taught you good storytelling, but because you got so used to setting up equipment quickly and making quick decisions on the fly. Mm, mm-hmm. And one thing I see a lot uh, with, with young directors is they kind of are very tortured over decisions. They do too many takes and realizing, okay, I have to shoot this video and I have a half hour to actually shoot a two-minute video. Right. It just encourages you to develop formulas and then of course it's always better to experiment and try things that are new but I feel that people when you're starting out you try to be creative and I was very focused on learning formulas and then afterwards the creativity can come because you're not freaking out over whether the equipment will work or getting all your shots in and you know people I think you know I I heard a lot from other people who I was making movies with oh you know, what festival are you aiming for? And my goal was I want to complete a film that has a beginning, a middle, and an end. <laughs> Come on, Ginger. And, and and but but if you can do that, then you then your next film will be better. And I always say like I wanna make you know, I wanna make five movies before I'm forty. I never say I wanna make great movies because <laughs> that, you know, that is what for other people to judge. It's for the critics to judge. And that can often change. Hitchcock is now considered art. And when he, like, his films came out, they were considered, you know, kind of, you know, 
mass entertainment, right? Right. So you, you have no control over how people will see your films, but you can definitely just, you know, do the work. And, and by doing that, you just get better kind of naturally. Uh, so I did a lot of roles, and then I just started uh, making short films. And then I got into documentary film because of the 2009 financial crisis. I was making a lot of content. All the people who were buying the content just stopped buying. And I had this camera, and I was like, okay, instead of waiting for these opportunities to come along, I found something that I could take the, the metro to. So it was n- nearby. And I just started filming, and that eventually became my first feature film, uh, Goals for Girls, which is about the fight of women in a slum in Argentina to play football or soccer, which is considered off-limits for women in Argentina. She's getting me fired up, dropping value bombs left and right. (laughs) (laughs) It's the director-producer of A Racing Family, Ginger Gentile. Ginger, I love everything that you just said, but I do want us to go ahead and get into A Racing Family. If you could, in your own words, what is this documentary about and what inspired you to create it? So like half of your listeners out there, I am the child of divorce and my parents' divorce wasn't nearly as messy as some of them on that are in a racing family, but it caused so much trauma. And to think about kids who lose contact with a parent and entire side of their family for months, years, sometimes their entire lives and they never reunite in and there's a lot of reasons why but the reasons that we focus on are incompetent family courts uh corrupt family courts they're not corrupt in the way that you know people are necessarily bribing but that there's so much money to be made by extending these court cases for years because if a divorce resolves itself quickly no one makes money but if it goes on and there's more conflict you need more lawyers psychologists social workers And I actually made a film called A Racing Dad in Argentina. And that film focused on fathers who are fighting to see their kids after divorce. And I interviewed the fathers. It got a ton of press. It changed child custody laws in Argentina. It was censored in Argentina because people didn't like, you know, that we were drawing attention to an issue that no one talks about, which is what goes on in family court. And it's the same all over the world. That was one thing that I learned that it's not that one country, one state or one jurisdiction is bad. It's bad pretty much everywhere. And when I moved back to the U S in 2015, I wanted to do a follow-up and I thought, okay, I'll do a film international about moms and dads who can't see their kids. Cause I got contacted by more, a lot of moms in the U S who couldn't see their kids after divorce. But then just like going on the internet, I saw kids as young as seven posting videos on YouTube and Facebook saying that they couldn't see a sibling or they couldn't see their mom or dad and they were really upset about it. And then other kids were contacting them, you know, doing, you know, video uh, replies and stuff like that. Mm. And I was like, I have to tell this from the kid's point of view. And before I really didn't know how to get in touch with kids, because if you ask a parent, can I interview your kid? And they're like, I can't even see my kids. So how can you interview them? Mm. But I was like, okay, through social media, I can contact these kids directly. Um, and then get their parents' permission. So that is kind of the the inspiration behind Erasing Family is, you know, it took me about a year or two to f- actually find the kids who were willing to talk, who had good stories, and, um, you know, who just light up the screen. Because that's the other thing about, you know, when you're casting a documentary, lots of people have incredible stories, but 
people who are emotionally open, who want to go through the process, and who are just good on screen, who are captivating, that's a really hard mix to find. So the big challenge with the racing family was so much travel. So we traveled all over Canada, all over the United States, as far away as Sweden and Argentina, trying to capture these stories. And we interviewed kids who have reunited with their parents who they couldn't see, and also kids who are still hating that parent because one thing that happens to these kids after years of no contact is they either believe falsely that the parent abandoned them, the parent doesn't love them, or they've been fed a host of lies about this parent. So for the kids, when they discover the truth, it's, it's healing, but it's not an easy healing because they realize that they missed out on having this great loving parent there their whole lives for no good reason. Um, and it can make them very angry, very upset. A lot of kids cut themselves. Um, they can become suicidal. They turn to drug use. And uh, it's a completely preventable issue. So it's, it's an issue that we don't talk about, but I would say it's one of the leading public health crises and causes of childhood trauma. And it's something that's just considered normal, but divorce doesn't have to be people fighting for years and spending up to a million dollars on a custody battle. There are healthier better ways and, that, and that's the message of the film that we need to do better for our kids yeah well uh you know unfortunately we're gonna have to kind of bring this to a close but because we're gonna sure. get into the after show and what i might do is just like roll straight into the after show um rather than you know um segmenting it like i usually do um sure. but you know being a, a product of a divorced family as well myself my parents actually didn't get divorced till i was in college um so when i first saw like you know um, a racing family, and obviously for your your PR kind of campaign, you have like hashtag erased dad, erased mom, etc. Honestly, I was like, that seems like a little bit over the top. But from what you just explained, that totally makes sense, and 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 that's an unfortunate thing. So what I want to ask you, um, just kind of in closing out right here with the, with this portion of the interview is two 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 prong question what has been audience response as well as what's the call to action because a lot of times we'll see something like this and we'll say oh man that sucks or oh that's horrible somebody needs to do something but is there something that we can actually do yes so uh we have twenty thousand followers on our facebook page that's at a racing family we're also on instagram and um and twitter and what, so there's, there's two levels of action. One is on a personal level and the other is a political level. So for the personal level, it's getting the word out to kids that perhaps you've been told something about a parent and it's not true. And if they're trying to reach out to you, take the phone call, answer the email, grab a cup of coffee, bring a friend if you feel uncomfortable. But there might be a loving parent and another half of the family that can add to that love to add to your support. And it's worth investigating, especially if, you know, if someone's trying to constantly contact you and you have no, you can't say they ever did something bad, but you just heard bad things, investigate it. Maybe you've been fed false news and it's not something to blame someone about. This stuff happens, but the kids who have reunited have said it's been very healing. Then also through our social media, I've been giving uh, live Facebook videos and podcasts to parents to give them the tools to reunite because a lot of them are just very angry, hurt, and traumatized. So learning how to communicate with their children in a new way by sending them love and encouragement. 
And also just letting people know that there's no winner in a custody battle. It's a war where everybody loses and to stay out of family court and to seek out mental health if people are feeling angry or who are suffering from mental illness. We're seeing a lot of that um, as the driver behind these custody battles. And then on a political level, uh, right now in a lot of states and countries, joint custody or where, where custody is shared equally is not the norm. It's very hard to do. And if one parent kind of vetoes it, it can't happen. So we want to make shared parenting, 50-50 custody, the norm, or at least the starting point for parents. Um, so if there's nothing to fight over and the message is you have to get along, it might not solve every case, but it solve a lot. And right now, the way the system is set up and the documentary explains this in detail, there's a lot of financial incentive to have parents fight over custody. So those financial incentives need to be removed. And we need to provide services. Like right now, uh, you, need to, you, know, you need to hire your own lawyer to go to family court. It's adversarial. It pits parents against each other. And this costs taxpayers so much money. And wouldn't it be better if we could give people some free therapy, free mediation? Uh, and we did find one place in the U.S. that is doing that, but that's only one place. And it would just be much healthier if people, when they're going through a family crisis, have help as opposed to lawyers and judges encouraging them to fight and say the worst possible thing about the other person in the courtroom. And the really good news about this is if we can do this, we can clear out so many of these unnecessary custody battles and people can focus on the real cases of abuse and domestic violence and addiction that need a lot of intervention. But you shouldn't give a lot of intervention, have a lot of, you know, providers helping a family fight over who gets Tuesday night. Right. Well, uh, Ginger, I think that uh, this has gone a little bit longer than expected, but for good cause, because everything that you said, it hits home. Uh, and so I appreciate the work that you're doing. How can Thank people you. support the film? How can they follow you guys on social media? So they can find the Erasing Family documentary on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Erasing Family. And our webpage is erasingfamily.org. And w the film has been completely crowdfunded. We have over 500 backers. We've raised about $400,000 through crowdfunding. Wow. And um, we want to raise even more so we can have a really robust impact campaign. We want to get this into high schools and universities in front of judges, lawyers, and politicians. Uh, so we can start having a conversation, and we already have 100 volunteers who have signed up to bring this film into their community. So people can sign up to become an ambassador to set up screens in their community. They can make a tax-deductible donation so we can continue this work. And we also reach out with other content. But also there's a lot of work that goes out to getting the film seen, and we really need to take this into our own hands because the days of, you know, just getting into a festival and then getting this audience are over. So people can find us, people can help, and if people have a skill to donate, um, such as press, uh, graphic design, uh, we, we can definitely use some help. And if there are kids who are suffering from this or who just went through a messy divorce, we are going to start a program for kids to become youth advocates. And I'm very keen on that everything we do from the movie to our content, uh, you know, we get people like ages from 16 to 25 to look at and get feedback make sure it speaks to them. Director, producer, and the best publicist 
for this film, I think you could have Ginger oh, Gentile <laughs> of A Raising Family. Ginger, I really do appreciate you coming on the show, and uh, you definitely have my support with this project and getting it out. So thanks again. Thank you, Kevin. Hey, let's take a quick break for promos. Stay tuned. What if you could have a film critic, film festival director, film publicist, and fellow filmmaker guide you with your film's PR and marketing journey from pre-production to post? I'm Kevin Sampson, and my online course, PR for the Indie Filmmaker, does just that. In this course, I'm going to teach you how to set up your film to engage an audience and build a community long before you call action. I'll show you how to approach critics to make them aware of your film like publicists do, and as a director of two film festivals, I won't just teach you hacks and secrets to reduce entry fees, but how you can use the festival circuit to create buzz around your film. I'm a huge supporter of diverse storytelling and film, and I believe the most unique voices come from indie filmmakers. That's who I've supported over the years with my show, Picture Lock, whether on TV or on radio. With as much experience as I've had as an independent filmmaker myself, critic, publicist, and festival director, I realized that most indie filmmakers just need access to the knowledge that big firms provide to achieve success. So in this course, I'm going to demystify some of the process and give you everything I know in a behind the scenes look at the sides of the business you don't always see. So if you're an indie filmmaker that's looking to change the game with your film's PR and marketing, make sure you check out PR for the Indie Filmmaker. Head on over to prfortheindiefilmmaker.com and get a free preview of the course, PR for the Indie Filmmaker. Get your film seen, build community, and become an army of one. Picture lock question of the week last week with Avengers Endgame on the horizon. Has there ever been a bigger movie release in cinematic history? How are you feeling about this highly anticipated film? On Instagram at marvel.versus.dc underscore nerd said, no words to explain. This is not a movie. This is emotion of every true Marvel fan. And then he had a tear emoji, just fire emojis. At Vec the Artist said, aside from episode seven and the final Deathly Hollow dropping, not really. At Joseph underscore Tova said, yes, there have been bigger releases and the name was Black Panther. At Nerdy underscore Neil said, maybe episode one or episode seven of Star Wars, long gaps between new movies in the saga. Thanks to everyone who participated in last week's question of the week. Now, after Disney unveiled price and programming details of Disney Plus on April 11th, its stock surged 12% while shares of rival Netflix sunk 4%. Disney obviously has tons of titles to put on their streaming platform and original shows that they'll create. So this week's question of the week, are you planning on subscribing to Disney Plus in November? Why or why not? Leave me a message 60 seconds or less on if you plan to subscribe or if it's just another streaming platform and you can't keep up with them all. Your thoughts on that and then I'll play it during next week's show. Call 202-350-1351. I can't wait to hear from you guys. You can always let me know on social media or email me at picturelockshow at gmail.com and I'll read your answer next episode. 
Hey everyone, this is Ben Kendrick. You can follow me at Ben Kendrick on Twitter. You can check out ScreenRant.com. You're listening to Picture Lock. I'm Kevin Sampson. You're listening to Picture Lock and two savvy adults discover what they don't know about themselves in a delightfully subversive film that starts where most rom-coms end in the film Toss It. I have writer, director, producer Michelle Remsen on the line. Michelle, welcome to Picture Lock. Thank you, Kevin. It's wonderful to be uh, on the show. <laughs> well, it's my pleasure. Michelle, the first question I always start out with, when did you first fall in love with film? Uh, I guess probably when I was uh, a little girl and, you know, there would be all these old, you know, shows or movies on uh, TV. And um, and I think some of it was also, um, I know my mother always loved screwball comedy, and I think that helped me tune into that and I always found them to be as you know a child really entertaining because they were sort of like bubbly and snappy and it's like champagne and I just thought that seemed like so much fun you know to live in that sort of world and then I of course you know got to appreciate you know all those sort of darker more interesting and all the other uh, uh, genres you know after that and um, and sort of did a deep dive when I was living in LA and sort of going through all the periods of you know films for certain you know, like the 20s the 30s 40s and sort of giving myself a, a film history uh, course. <laughs> uh, so I'd know what brought us to where we are today as far as film spectacular. I love it. Um, now, in terms of screwball comedies, the classic, His Girl Friday, <laughs> do, do you like that one? I adore it. I can't imagine. It's a wonder watching how fast they speak to each other. It's just like a really rapid fire tennis match, which I adore. <laughs> yeah, most definitely. So listeners, you definitely got to check out His Girl Friday. This is the stuff that, you know, film theory and film criticism classes are made of. So I'm really interested <laughs> now in Toss It even more, Michelle. If you could uh, just give us your, you know, breaking in story. How did you get started in the industry? Uh, well, I started in the theater here in New York and then uh, moved to L.A. to pursue uh, film industry and television and it had some options on a couple features. Money fell apart at pitching series. Um, moved back to New York and um, where I just felt a little more at home and wound up getting uh, back in the theater and turning. But I was also having you know, a hard time uh, selling uh, original scripts, uh, screenplays, or getting, you know, the money for the other features. So I decided to make a very small um, film, the first, uh, my first feature, which I did on, you know, debt and donations budget. <laughs> and so I took one of my, took one of my uh, plays that um, sort of began as a little one act in L.A. and then read it in New York and people wanted to know what happened next. And it sort of evolved into a play that I did some readings and I looked at it and I thought, well, you know, maybe this could be a good first, feature, you know, sort of eight principal roles and not that many um, location demands. And um, that is how I got from theater into uh, and how I broke into uh, film industry. You're listening to Picture Lock. I'm Kevin Sampson. I'm talking with writer, director, producer of Toss It, Michelle Remsen. Michelle, it, it is always interesting hearing that backstory and how a lot of times people start out doing one thing, like you said, theater, crossing over into film. But, you know, I think all of that, all of our backstory, all of the things that we've learned growing up comes out into our work. And so I'm interested in hearing more about Toss It. I love the fact that it says a subversive film that starts where most rom-coms end. So in your own words, what's the film about um, and what kind of prompted you to write and direct this film? 
Um, well, I, look, as I said earlier, you know, one of the, sort of the gateway drugs for films for me were screwball comedies. And so um, I, and I loved them. And then I sort of saw the evolution of rom-coms. And they seem to be, you know, some people say cliched and unrealistic. Um, but there also seem to be always these two prototypes of sort of the, you know, savvy, skeptical woman and the sort of obsessive compulsive flirt you know, man. And um, I, I thought it was a great, you know, construct, but I always wanted to know, well, what made them who they are? <laughs> you know, no one ever really dug too deeply. So I thought it would be interesting to sort of pull the curtain back on that. Um, and that's why I say the movie starts where most of them end, because it opens in this black tie wedding, everybody looks terrific, you know, there's all this band, there's music, the champagne, and then everything just sort of goes off the rails. Everything gets tossed. And um, Finn, the, the, the guy who's the central part of the uh, main couple along with Emily. Um, Finn is wondering why he's so messed up. Why does he keep messing up? And Emily keeps wondering why she's so drawn to him. And so the rest of the players is a younger couple, his sophisticated parents, there's this wise great uncle, and a flaky friend sort of impacted both of them, driving them apart, and then they finally take a leap. But there's this major curveball that hits, and then they really get to see, you know, like the curtain is really pulled back and kind of reveals what made them who they are, and then they kind of figure out that the real deal goes down in back hallways, not in the fancy dance floor, <laughs> and they and they try to kick against convention and find some kind of truth of their own. You know, one question I want to ask you in regard to rom-coms, romantic comedies, and it's screwball comedy, all this kind of stuff, right? The chemistry between your main actors has to be there. One of my uh, film criticism professors, he always said that the people that tango the best are usually the ones that wind up ending together. So even like in His Girl Friday, you know, they go back and forth, they fight all the time, but like they're the ones that are perfect for each other. So just in terms of your writing and then also your direction and directing your cast, you know, what was it like cultivating mm -hmm. that chemistry? Well, I was really lucky because I cast everyone I knew. <laughs> so there was um, a real familiarity, but uh, well, some of them I had seen them work, and then I gathered together and I did some readings in a room in sort of a theater, you know, based exploration of it to see if they would, you know, however, and sort of read through it and just got to see, you know, if the chemistry was there in the room. Um, and because they had, they were terrific actors, but then they just really meshed. And so I thought, well, this is great. I'm so lucky. <laughs> and Tilburg was the one person I didn't know ahead of time, and I cast him with a, the assistant of casting director, and we uh, had some sketch sessions, and it just seemed to have that chemistry, which a lot of people really enjoy on screen. You know, that that as you said, you sort of the tango. Um, that spoiler alert, that, yeah, it does look like they're going to wind up together, but not, you know, but only after a lot of challenges and a lot of really uh, digging uh, deeply into that. So uh, when it came to directing on film for everybody, I was, uh, had, like I said, it was a very tight budget. I had a great crew, but a terrific uh, professional DP who owned all this lovely Ari Alexa gear, and he came with a small crew who were really tight, but um, we had a very short shoot, like this was done in two weeks. And so I had a lot of prep work as far as, like, locations and timing and shot lists. But the, what saved me was my cast just really owned their parts, and they just came, you know, ready, you know, because everybody, there were not a lot of takes, which is also how I've done, again, mostly out of financial necessity. But the <laughs> shorts that I made, shorts I made prior to this were always on a, a tight uh, time schedule. But there's something to that. I'm not saying it's always terrific, but when there's limited time, people just – 
bring it. You know, they just get right to the, the essence of it, and they think that brings a nice freshness and vitality to the scene mm-hmm. rather than, like, the tenth take and maybe they'll find it or try this. It's just they, they kind of get right to it. That, meaning we can't try stuff later, but I find often the earlier takes when people get uh, right to it, it, it the, they're the ones that wind up in the film because um, they're bringing the stakes immediately because, they, you know, the urgency of each scene is, is really there. Awesome. You're listening to Picture Lock. I'm Kevin Sampson. I've been talking with writer, director, producer of Toss It, Michelle Remsen. Michelle, as we kind of close out this interview here, if you could, um, what's audience reception been to been like for the film thus far? I know you're on the festival circuit. And then for the audience that's listening, how can they follow you guys, find out more online? Uh, sure. Well, the response has been actually really lovely. People, you know, laugh really hard, but they also, you know, when they're twist, you know, appreciate how deep it goes and how much it digs in. And, uh, you know, there's some deep questions and some wisdom that's laid out there. And um, I've had people say, one of my favorite responses was when we screened it in L.A., uh, this woman came up to me and she was like, thank you for taking us there. And I just really loved that, you know, that there was this whole full journey of real um, adults who are flawed and everybody's, you know, either blindly following traditions or <laughs> really starting to question why they do it. You know, and I think that's mm-hmm. the main thing is, you know, getting clarity about it. You might choose your, the tradition in the end, but you have to really know, you know, why if it's for you. I think, you know, when you get clear, that's when fun starts. <laughs> yeah, most definitely. And then how can we follow you guys on social media and find out more about this film? Uh, sure. Um, the website is tossitthemovie.com, where all the information is there with links to the trailer, um, the social media handles for Instagram, Twitter, the Facebook page. It's, they're all Toss It Movie. You can also on the website, there's links to some profile pieces. There's one at Movie Maker Magazine. There's a few other um, interviews and some red carpet uh, interviews for the Hollywood Real Independent Film Festival. And um, I think that should give everybody an overview. And then there's also links to, you know, if you want to contact us, you know, uh, directly, the publicist is on there that I was awarded a New York Women Film and Television Marketing Grant. So I was able to hire a publicist, which is terrific, Annie G, so cinematic <laughs> red PR. And um, and also uh, we'll be adding the, the sales rep, uh, Idea Media Sales, with him foreign sales. Awesome. Writer, director, producer, Toss It, Michelle Remsen, thanks so much for coming on Picture Lock. Oh, Kevin, it's been really a lovely chat. Thank you so much, and thank you for your enthusiasm and for supporting indie film. Really appreciate it. You're welcome. That's all for this episode. I'd like to thank my guests, Ginger Gentile and Michelle Remsen, for coming on the show. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast and iTunes, tune in Stitcher, Blueberry, wherever you catch your podcast, so you can hear the extended radio versions of the show, catch unlocked episodes, and the Picture Lock PR after show, giving you buckets of free knowledge for your film projects, PR and marketing from filmmakers doing it. If you're a fan of Alexa skills, just say, Alexa, play Picture Lock podcast, and I'll come right up. Feel free to leave a five-star review of the show as well. You're supporting the filmmakers and guests I have on the show by allowing more people to be exposed to the podcast. It's quick, easy, and free, and I really appreciate it. So leave those five-star reviews wherever you catch your podcast on Facebook, 
Again, I appreciate it. You can find Picture Lock on most social media. All social media is at Picture Lock Show. Watch back episodes of the TV show at youtube.com slash Picture Lock Show and subscribe. I've got new movie reviews for this weekend up now, so please check that out. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, you can fill out the form on the website. All music is done by my brother, Mike S. The Producer 13. Make sure you follow him on all things social media at Mike S. The Producer, numeral one, numeral three, and hit him up for your music production needs. Thanks, bro. I'm Kevin Sampson, and until next time, I hope you stay locked on film.